Today on Own the Future, we have with us Dr. Majid Akasimi, and I could probably wax eloquence for about an hour about this episode. I won't, but what I do want you to note is two things. One, the level of failure and disappointment that he had to overcome in his story. I think oftentimes I look at people and I think how they probably sailed through life. Probably things were easy for them. They are the shining star and I don't see the level of hardship that they had to overcome to make it to where they are today. The second thing to note, I I believe this is going to act as a foundation for what he shares in the latter half of the episode, the challenges, the wisdom, the advice that he gives. And I have to tell you, if you are happy with your life, if you do not want to be challenged, if you do not want to change the way that you think or live, if you want to float through life, turn this episode off. It's not for you. But if you are looking to grow, then listen up. Welcome to Own the Future, a podcast dialoguing with creatives and entrepreneurs to better understand who we are, the work that we do, and how we will shape and own the future. Today, we're with Majid Al-Qasimi, who is, I'm sorry, Dr. Majid Al-Qasimi, who has a doctorate in veterinarian medicine, yeah. and he is the director of animal health and development for the Ministry of Climate Change and Environment for the United Arab Emirates. If that's not a mouthful, I don't know what is. <laughs> it, it's my card's really, really big. <laughs> <laughs> is it like a three by five? Yeah, it's like a folds out. <laughs> it's like a whole pamphlet. Yeah, Majid, I, I'm really excited for our conversation. Same um, here. Already in the the two minutes that you've been sitting down, <laughs> there's been like multiple things I've wanted to springboard off of. So um, we're gonna. Really bring it back yeah, in, hone it in a little bit. And I wanted to start off um, just by hearing your origin story, you know, just even some of your childhood things that yeah. shaped you um, as as maybe people might know or maybe not. Be, being a veterinarian doctor in the UAE, it's not exactly the thing that kids grow up dreaming to become. And I'm assuming that you had a lot of like sideways looks when you told all your friends, like, I'm going to become a vet. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how this, un, how your story unfolded. Okay. So an interesting point is though, every time I meet somebody and I tell them I'm a veterinarian, they go, Oh, I always wanted to be one. No way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I'll, I'll, let's go right back. Um, I was uh, born to an Emirati father and German mother. Okay. Um, grew up in Sharjah up until I was 15 and moved to Dubai. Um, then went to, uh, it was around the time I was doing my, uh, at the, it was the international baccalaureate, which is our schooling, school leaving certificate, um, the A-level equivalent essentially. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I liked the following subjects, which were biology, economics. I picked psychology cause I was, I was curious. Mm-hmm. Um, and it so was, this is in high school. This is high school. Yeah. Um, let me, let me back up a oh, couple you of go, decades. Yeah, okay, cool. I want to know when you were like five, six, oh, eight. Okay. We're going what, right back. Were, were there like clues or hints in oh, your absolutely. life? Were you like dreaming of this? No. Or, so I hear Okay. This is, you want to get that story on tape? We're, I, we're, we're, what, we're I, what I love, I, I was thinking about this today and I, I believe that, you know, I don't know whether people call it the stars or destiny yeah. or whatever, but that 
in some ways there there is a story of our life that is written in, within our bio, biology or DNA. It's almost like the context of your genetics, your your environment. Yeah, I, I think yeah, you can extrapolate that into our story. I completely agree. So I'm always fascinated with what kids dream about being when they're like five, six, seven, eight, and what they actually become. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, uh, so, I'm, so let, I'm let me curious, give you yeah. let me give you my story then. So when I was uh, man, as as young as a year or two. At least when when I was born, my mom was taking us uh, taking me at the time back to uh, her family in Germany uh, for the summers. So we'd get away from the heat here. We'd be with them maybe for a month or more. Yeah. Um, and with that, my grandfather, my German grandfather, he used to take us out on walks and into the forest. And there's a good funny video somewhere in the archives where he took me out at the age of two, my grandfather and me gets on the tractor and we drive up out of the village that we live in. It's now a town, but it's village at the mm. time. And uh, we get into uh, the forest where they've had uh, specific trees marked to be logged. So he gets out the chainsaw and I'm standing by the tractor and he puts these trees to work, puts them, you know, um, cuts them down has me with him as he cuts them up. We take a small break and gives me some something to eat, you know, and we eat and then he's continuing doing this. Oh, the whole time I'm with him and I'm tapping away at this yeah. like bark. And it's one of my my earliest memories. Wow. In fact, when I was later in, in, in preschool, nursery, um, they said like, oh, what happened over the summer? It was kindergarten. They said, oh, what did you do in the summer? I said, I went to the jungle. <laughs> it was like it was the place with all the trees. It's the jungle. Yeah. Um, and I've just right up until, yeah, all our lives when we were visiting family, wow. we'd always spend a lot of time in Germany and my grandfather would always spend, so we would have breakfast real early and then we'd all go for a walk. And I say we, because I'm the oldest of four mm. boys from my mom and the four of us would get into this like you know, wagon. Yeah. And he'd just walk from Hold the you. door of the house up and out of town and through the forest, Gosh. past the lake to the next town. He'd sit down, he'd have a drink, we'd have our little snack and then he'd walk us back and it'd be lunchtime. Wow. And, and that is still one of like my most treasured memories. My grandfather passed away at the beginning of this year to uh, um, uh, Parkinson's. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, he lived a full life. Um, if it was one thing I knew um, from watching him growing up as well, he's a very practical man. And as I say this, I realize now how that's influenced me mm. a lot with becoming a veterinarian. But um, it was lots of nature, lots of getting your hands dirty, getting stuck in as you, as yeah. you would, and um, always being out in the fresh air. Um, in fact, we used to go back for summer holidays, not to chill, but to really you know, work. So we were either cleaning up in the garden, we were uh, helping my grandfather clear trees in the back. I mean, got loads of pictures and they used to laugh. They'd be like, yeah, we, we're bringing, you know, labor from, from the UAE. Cheap <laughs> <laughs> work in Germany, yeah, exactly. But it, it's, um, it's built a really strong work ethic in my brothers and I, yeah, I have to say imagine. it's like absolutely critical to the way I am today. And um, yeah, and just co this constant engagement with uh, the outdoors and nature. Yeah. And that's when in grade three, when I started basic sciences, I remember a very influential teacher at the time, 
she was super energetic, mm. um, super excited. And we were learning about animals and the food web and the yeah. guppies. And yeah. I was just fascinated. There was a, a reason behind all of everything I was experiencing. Wow. And I became really enamored with nature. And so nature then turned into the love of biology. Right. And so through right. my education, naturally. yeah, exactly, naturally. <laughs> and no pun intended. Yeah, and going going back, and even though I was in schools that were sort of pushing physics, chemistry, mathematics mm. primarily, mm. as soon as biology came and became an option, I was picking that up. Wow. And that was when when I was at the Schweifat School, and then when I moved to Dubai, I moved to uh, Emirates International School, and there. Biology was a major subject that everybody had to take. And mm. so I was super excited. And then I just, it, it, I was just very good at it. Mm. Every every class, like I'd listen and I know exactly what it was about. There wasn't much to study. Because you were immersed in it even yeah, kind absolutely. of growing up yeah. and you're and you passionate just about se it. sensitized to it. Yeah. Um, with that, through my finals, uh, it was actually in the last two years so. In the last two years of school, I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. I thought, okay, I really like biology. Yeah. And I picked those subjects, uh, but really didn't know what I'd become. Mm. And I never in my life thought I'd have a DR. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, a, yeah exactly. It's a huge yeah, deal. Especially here. <laughs> it was like, doctor, you know? So like for, for, for me, when I... Um, when I realized was, um, it was one summer, we were here for quite a while and my mom says, look, you know, the summers, you know, when we're not traveling, you're getting a job. Yeah. You're going to go and do some interning or, or something. Because, how old are you at this point? So I was, um, well, actually we started doing sort of intern jobs as soon as I was 15. Wow. Um, and my mom, my mom actually has a very important role in, in shaping how I am. Uh, and, and that's not, you know, in the intention that she's my mother, but she's always said, you know, you come from a royal family in Sharjah, mm. but in the world, who are you? Wow. You know, who in the world? I mean, this is a wow. title, sure, here, but when you go to X country and you and, and you present yourself, what what have you got to show for yourself? Wow. She's like, go and get an education. So um Is that no is that do you feel like that is a normal thought for most Emiratis or Arabs who are from privileged families? I can't comment in, in, in the way that would, I don't think it's normal. And I also think we're, we're very lucky for yeah. the, the, the things that we have here and in the country that we have here as, 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 I mean, I still can't believe you can leave a, your car keys in the car in a public space and walk away. Yeah. I like, feel so, I know other, so safe. In yeah, this, no, no, yeah. there, there are other people that would just like not do a double take. They, they would grab the key and think you were losing your mind on. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So when that was happening, I think both my parents, and this is another thing. So my, my dad, when I was growing up, was also in the garden all the time. Mm. So to, to the layer on top of that, when I'm not in Germany, yeah. every morning, one of my favorite, fondest memories is my dad had this very specific tea mug. And he'd take that and he'd walk the garden in the morning and he'd be working with the gardener saying, look, let's plant here and wow. let's do that. And this irrigation system's not working. So my dad's very much into agriculture as well, at home gardening or otherwise. So I, I know I've inherited it from both my my parents, the this love for the natural world. Yeah. Um, and it was that my, my, so my dad, where I was going with that, my dad only spoke English to us. Really? 
and I, 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 my dad speaks seven languages. Wow. And he doesn't pick Arabic. He goes <laughs> English. Seven and, languages. Yeah, yeah. So he does that Incredible. because he realizes you're going to have this as a key to the world. And my mom says, go get an education. So with English and this education, you could work anywhere in the world. Yeah. I mean, you literally have access. So both you and your parents essentially, both of your parents essentially said, we're we're not going to allow you to just ride on our coattails of yeah. our oh, family no. name. Yeah. And you have to go out and you have to, yeah. you have to be something. Absolutely. You can't just use your name to yeah. swipe. Absolutely. It, it's, you know, there, there, there may be some privileges, but. hundred percent and praise God. Yeah. I think, you know, those privileges that are passed down from our parents and our grandparents. So those aren't anything to be ashamed of. Yeah. Those are honors that we carry exactly. in our name. Yeah. That there's a responsibility for us to steward what we've been given from our forefathers. And so if that is royalty and mm -hmm. that is privilege, no shame. Yeah, no There's shame. no shame, but I think it's how are you stewarding that to better your family name and the world around yeah. you? Is that no, correct? Yeah, for me, um, from a very young age, I always understood no matter what I do, I'm an ambassador of my family. Huge. And that wasn't, that wasn't sort of preached at home or anything like that. And I realized the responsibility of my last name mm. and also what that means when you engage with people, what that means when you leave the country. And, mm. and always being conscious of being an ambassador of your country. Wow. That's, I've had that for the longest time. Always, you know, on your best behavior, making sure you're sharing the best of you and the best of your country. Yeah. Um, so, it's a huge responsibility. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm very comfortable with responsibility. Yeah. That's one of those things that I realize. I'm the oldest of seven kids, actually. Wow. My dad, my parents got divorced. My dad remarried and three more. And, um, but my brothers and I being the, I'm the oldest of all, um, have always felt mm. that responsibility. And so, honor. It's, it's it responsibility. Is. Yeah, it is. But that it comes with this. It's, it's not, um, I like the way you say it as an honor. It's not this thing that's sort of weighing me down. Yeah. It's this thing that I It's not like Yahweh, it's not like better watch out. It's yeah. like it's a gift. It's 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 a I like the idea of stewardship, you know. Yeah. It's my turn to hold this until yeah. my children carry it on and Huge. it continues that way. So so growing up with this sort of like background awareness, um the understanding of, you know, nature and the realization that actually culturally we come from uh, you know, people that are very intertwined with nature. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, you can't live in the desert. You can't look and on the coast here without yeah. being very respectful. And Bedouins are traitors. You yeah. look and you realize it's you know hand in hand with nature. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. this is growing up. I'm doing biology, and then sort of this mid, this summer between the last two years of school, and one of those summers where my mom's like, "Okay, what are you going to do?" And I was like, "Ah, oh, you know what? I'd really like to do something that, you know, I could figure out what I'm doing for science." And one of her friends, German, um, was, uh, her, uh, it was a lady, but her husband is a director of the central veterinary research laboratory here in Dubai. Mm. And she said, well, look, I mean, they, they do biology stuff, go and hang out there for a month, learn something. Worst you could do is learn. You don't want to do that. Absolutely. Um, and I'm a big proponent of go and try it. Yeah. And if you don't like it, you know, you don't want to do that yeah. for the rest of your life. That is a good way to that know, is, get in early. Yeah. And, and learn. Because so many people want to have like the game plan for their whole life. So they sit and deliberate what they should do yeah. rather than try and half yeah. dozen things. I'll, I'll be honest. My mom did a lot of that 
game planning with me. My career has been planned this way. Mm. I've, I have very detailed plan and SWOT analysis and I've, yeah, wow. yeah. we'll get to that when, when we get to it. But the idea was I go to the central veterinary research laboratory mm. and one month turns into three. I'm doing, wow. I've, I get to take part in all of the laboratories there. So it's hematologies, all the blood analyses. I go into the bacteriology, it's culturing and essentially identifying culture, uh, yeah. uh, bacteria strains. Yeah. And then uh, also uh, we did some virology as well. So I was pipetting stuff for lab tests. Um, a lot of pathology. So cutting up dead animals, trying to take samples, understand what caused the, the disease and then the the demise of the animal um, and then all sorts. And I was getting, I was in overalls and then I was doing field work as well. So, so this we were, is as an intern. Yeah. This is me as, as a, as a 17 year old, uh, 16, You're 17 cutting year up old. dead animals. Well, figuring with, out with supervision. Culture. Of course. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. I mean, but yeah. But I've, it's I've that hands in. on. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, don't shy away from. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's not pretty work. Like uh, no. it's not for everybody. Um, and it's funny because in that space and time, I went through, I remember before going in, I was thinking, you know what? I like working with my hands. I actually did like some career testing and I was thinking, you know, what? physiotherapy, mm. work with my hands, work with people, sort of building on my strengths. Then in the labs, I was doing parasitology, the study of parasites. Mm -hmm. I was doing microscope work, which I really enjoy. Um, and I was like, I'll be a parasitologist. And that's ironic because one of the hardest subjects for me in the end when I studied, but it was the director who like gave me a push. He, he took me under his wing and mentored me, but he said, look, Majid, like, why don't you become a veterinarian? You love biology. You love all of this. As a veterinarian, you would have not only the breadth, but the depth yeah. for all of biology. You could, you could sit across from any other scientist or any other technical person as well as industry and you could communicate. And he's like, FYI there are no Emirati veterinarians. I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, there are no Emiratis that are veterinarians practicing wow. that he knew of. I then learned from my dad, there was an older gentleman, one guy. <laughs> one. One guy. One. <laughs> yeah. And nobody knew where he was. So, um, wow. so, so I was like, wow, I, I never considered myself to, to go that far in my education. So the vets that were, that were here in the UAE at the time, where they, where were they from? Cause I mean, there's and till to this day, we have a lot of foreigners that are vet veterinarians here, professionals working for government, working in the private sector, uh, and they're doing great work. Yeah, because there's a huge need. I mean, from Absolutely. Well, it's funny you say the word need because it was clear to me then, it was clear to me then that a lot of things were developing really fast in the region, Yeah, in the country. Yeah. This is probably 2002? Uh, 2001. 2001. 2001. And I was thinking, you know what? This not only is important, but if I get to be one of the first in the country, I can make sure that my country gets the best of me. Yeah. And I can, I can give as much back as I can for my, for my country and mm. my people. So um, off I go looking to apply and they're like, oh, this is great that you want to be a vet, but you need three sciences and you've only got biology. So I was like, well, that was a short trip. And my mom goes, no, no, no. If you really want to do this, you go back to school. Yeah. You get the other other classes you need. And I was like, oh, one can do that. Because <laughs> you have, at this point. I've only got biology. In, is this an undergrad or is this in high school? Yeah, or? so I'll, you're asking, I know in America it's an undergrad. Out. Yeah, so 
the interesting thing about vet, the veterinary degrees mm. across the world is other than the U.S., most of them are actually undergraduate degrees where you come qualified as either with a bachelor's of veterinary medicine or a doctor of veterinary medicine, which is what I have. Out of high school, you can- Yeah, you out go of out of high school, school you, you come qualified. You, to, you come into school, into university, and you do five, it's extending now to six years because knowledge in this yeah. field is obviously, it's growing. massive and growing and you still need more practical work. And so they wanna make sure veterinarians are graduating with capable, they call them day one skills. So it sounds more like an, an, an I know it's not, but like, kind of more of an apprenticeship as far as veterinarian, becoming a veterinarian doctor and the university yeah. curriculum. It's not, okay, we're going to sit in and go through these books. And I'm sure like most doctorates. So a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of people say, you know, you, you do, if you're doing the international baccalaureate and you're doing, I think it's called, yeah, the diploma, which is the higher level and you do a thesis and everything as a school leaving certificate, you're a lot better adjusted for university mm -hmm. unless you're doing medicine. <laughs> and then like to be, to make the comparison in human medicine, you're looking at two species mm. or rather one, but the male and female. Yeah. And then when you're doing veterinary medicine, you're looking at a minimum of seven as a base of study. Mm. Horses as equines, Gosh. ruminants, <laughs> sna you know, exotics, dogs and cats wow. as carnivores, fish. I've never thought about yeah. that. And, th and then I got into, I picked all the options. Like I'm, 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 I'm one to always take the, the hard road. I don't know what it is. And it's like, yeah, I'm just going to prove I can do the hardest thing. So I, I then picked also apiary science, which is bee science mm. uh, and medicine and uh, the extra on fisheries. Um, and so I've got as broad as you can get wow. straight out the door, uh, uh, an understanding of, you know, veterinary medicine when I graduate. So there's me going back into school and uh, I found, well, my mom found at the time uh, and they're really cool school called Dover Brooks College, which is a school that uh, is known as a Kramer College. And you basically, you do your A-level in a single year. Mm -hmm. So I did both physics and chemistry in one year. And then they helped me apply into vet schools in uh, university. Okay, where'd you go? Uh, to or Bristol University Bristol, in the okay. end. Um, uh, went to interview in a couple of different places. But so right off the bat, from school, I go back to school, but now in Oxford, I stay with a family there. And now I'm taking care of myself as most kids do when they mm -hmm. go to university. Um, I'd also, I remember distinctly, like my mom dropped me off and then that was it. And then I came back for the holidays. But other than, other than that, I was with a host family, but I was taking care of myself. Like I was, they were doing some of the washing, but I had, yeah, no, I had to dry my own clothes. Mm. I had to make sure they were ironed. I had to make sure like really sort of learning how to take care of yourself from that age. And that was an experience I really enjoyed because you, you grow up very yeah, quickly. You've got to. Um, and then when I went to university in Bristol, my mom didn't come and pick me up and take me. I actually made good friends in Oxford at the time while I was studying there. He was a bandmate, actually, um, the guitarist. And he drove me from Oxford to Bristol, dropped me off. And when we said goodbye, it was so awkward because I realized like, oh, it's not my mom. Like, you know, you do the hugging and the kissing and everything. <laughs> like, couple tears. Yeah, exactly. It's like, all right. See and you, I was dude. Like, dude. <laughs> yeah, see you later. Like, call me Let's and there was no jam out some time yeah. shoot me an email you know <laughs> so i was like well, yeah cool uh and then yeah and then Awkward. it was four years 
at Bristol. Yeah. And um, learned a lot about myself because I, I, so was it four years? No, it was three years at Bristol because it was a year in Oxford. So it was first year, second year. I failed in the second year and resat the second year because my parasitology wasn't good enough. Really? <laughs> yes. So you, you had to retake a whole year of... Exactly, yeah. It was my, the, the score for that class was so low. They're like, look, we'd like you to resit the whole year so that we can see you can manage your, your yeah. subject. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. Was that, that taking that step back, do you feel like it's actually giving you a broader foundation and a stronger foundation as you're kind of taking a little bit more time to go through your education and kind of shoring up some of those foundations? No. If, no. if, if anything, I learned that I was actually dyslexic or I am dyslexic. Really? I've got like an auditory dyslexia. I, I was the real, the real reason why I was having such a hard time was I had friends who were just doing their classes and they're doing really well. Um, and in the end, I realized when I'm in a lecture, I'm taking such poor notes because if I'm not watching the lecturer talk, I don't understand what he's saying. So if I look down and write, it's like I'm your not mind computer. turns off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if somebody coughs behind me, my attention just goes right away. So I can't focus huh. unless I'm looking at the guy. So I went, I went, believe me, when you do two years and you fail and they're asking you to reset, you go and figure out why you're, why you're not doing well. And I went to a, um, it was a learning center here. It was like, they were spe specialized in both psychology and learning. And I did like everything. And they're like, your short-term memory is like super small. And when you hear information and have to regurgitate it, it almost like collapses on itself. Wow. So I was like, oh, which is funny because I'm extremely visual. Yeah. And then when I understood that, I could apply that. So went back, reset the year, and then I failed the other subjects. I passed parasitology, <laughs> but I failed anatomy and physiology. By 1%, like I was literally 1% off. And they were like, look, there are no resets for this. Thank you very much for coming. Goodbye. And they asked me to withdraw. So I was like, wow, I just wow. put in four years. Like, what, what am I going to do? And I was like, you know what? My second science was physics because I, I loved physics. Mm -hmm. There's, the, again, the natural world in a sense, a bit more math yep. involved. And physics is great. So I applied to the math college at, uh, sorry, the physics college at university. And they were well-renowned uh, in the UK as one of the best engineering schools. Um, and I did engineering. Oh, I wanted to do engineering design. And then at interview, they were like, look, buddy, like, this is a nice attempt, but like, you're, you're not a, you're not thinking you're like not an physicist. engineer, you're yeah. not a physicist. And so I was like, well, that didn't work. So I came home. I thought, you know what? I need to, I need to take, I need to take a break. I need to figure out what I'm doing. Wow. Um, and it came at, well, it was like almost end of summer that year where I was having a conversation with my mom and I was like, look, you know, I've tried, I've looked left and right. I'm, I put four years into a veterinary degree and I'll be damned if I lose those four years for nothing. So Seriously. I'm going to apply again. And this time we'll apply somewhere else. So uh, I was thinking South Africa, I was thinking Australia. And my mom was like, you really want to go to the end of the earth? to go and learn this? Like, isn't Europe an option? I was like, where else can I learn in English? Mm. Like, I, I speak German, but I wasn't comfortable with the idea of like now changing Trying gears. Change another in language. language. Yeah, exactly. 
And it happened to be where I was at the research laboratory. There was a new join for about six months who was a Hungarian who used to be a professor in Budapest yeah. at the St. Istvan College. And he said, why don't you apply? So I was like, okay, cool. I got my papers together. I sent them off. And a week later, he's like, uh, did you hear back? I was like, no. He's like, uh, let me call them. And then I got an Wasta. email. Well, it wasn't so much Wasta. You know why he was checking? <laughs> Semester started. Oh, really? Yeah. And then the guy, the, the, the faculty who was, who was doing the um, uh, English program uh, um, engagement and recruitment or students, whatever it's called, he writes, he's like, oh, no, no, you've got everything that's great, but you have to be here before the end of the week because you've got a physiology practical you need to take. And if you fail that, you'll fail the year. So I was like, what? I look at my, I look at my calendar. I was like, okay, I've got two days. Um, to study and get there. Yeah, exactly. So I went upstairs, I took a roller case, packed some jeans, some sweaters, t-shirts, you know, underwear, like the basics. And then I printed out the notes he said I needed to have done. <laughs> and I literally got on a plane to Vienna because there's no direct flight to Budapest. And then I'm on a train from Vienna to Budapest and I'm sitting there and going, okay, I've got to study for this exam. I got to go in tomorrow and pass it. Um, where am I sleeping tonight? Oh my goodness. <laughs> and it's just wow. like all these things. That is wild. Like you're just, I was like, okay. And then sitting across from me is this Canadian guy who's backpacking and we strike up a conversation. I was like, hey buddy, where are you staying tonight? He's like, oh, I've got this like hostel, like traveler's hostel that I'm staying at. I was like, could I hang tag along? Cause I need a place to stay. So he's like, yeah, sure. So we land, uh, you know, at the, the train station, arrive, get out, walk That's across. Awesome. And um, he checks in and uh, then I'm like, hi, I need uh, just anything you've got. And they're like, yeah, we've got like, there's shared rooms and there's single rooms. So I was like, hmm, I don't know how much cash I've got on me to last. So go for the cheapest option. I was like, yeah, I'll share a room with 11 other people. <laughs> how long were you there for? Just like a couple of days or? What, in, in, in the hostel. Um, I think I did three weeks. <laughs> That's a lot with 11 people. Yeah. Cause I just, so what happened was I got in, I started doing the classes and they made me start from year one. You had to start all over again. Yeah. They were so, like, look, seeing as you don't have physiology and, chem and, and so anatomy. Did, so you did four years of university. No, three years of university and one. In, so I did three years, two, uh, three years of A-levels or, or your, your school leaving. Uh huh. I did three years of university. So the, so the, the, uh, I'm getting tripped up because the British system is different than the American system. Yeah. So your A-levels would be like your 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. Exactly, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And then out of that, you did one year of university. No, and then I did three years of university. Three years of university. Yeah. And then out of that, you failed. Yeah. And then you had to start all the way back over so that those three years kind of clicked back to zero. Uh, yeah. There were one or two things credited. Okay. And the irony was... I passed parasitology, but by the time I got back to parasitology, the professor was like, I'm not going to credit to you. You'd done it so long ago. I you need you to, to do it again. It. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like it's been a long, a long path of education with a lot of hiccups and bumps along the way. It wasn't like, you know, you oh, applied, no, you went to college, cruised oh, no, through no, 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 no. and here you are, you know, you've, you've made it. So, so no, I, I tell you what, adversity and failure. Yeah. I'm very comfortable with now. And so what, what, what was it that caused you to, in the face of adversity and most people probably, okay, maybe, you know, three years you fail out of university. It was your dream, your passion. And you're like, well, I'm just going to move on. Like, I think a lot of people at that point 
quit. They don't give up. And then they find that they have to start from zero and take it all over. They're like, oh, do I really want to do that? What was it that caused you to push through the face of adversity and failure? And so one, I've been fortunate to have the kind of support that my family has given me. Mm. I will not like shuffle around that, like financial support that I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get a grant or anything to study this. So my family put up the money for this and I'm eternally grateful for that. So money wasn't an issue. Mm. So it was all on me. And it's, it's like, okay, if you climb this mountain, you're going to be the first Emirati veterinarian. You can bring all of this knowledge to bear for your country. Yeah. If you really love this, are you going to be able to do this? I mean, I don't know. It was never a question. I mean, I'm, I realize I'm not a quitter. Like quitting for me is not, um, not something that I do normally. Yeah. If I look back, like, no, I'll, I'll take it to the bitter end mm. and I'll see it through. And if, if it doesn't work out, I'd, I'd very comfortably get up. And I think that's just in the way we've grown up, like, uh, don't be shy to try. It seems like you, you know, you're talking about quitting. And when I asked you about that, you pointed straight to the vision, right? So yeah. you seem to, you know, there's an old proverb, which it's people without a vision perish. Yeah. People absolutely. perish for lack of vision. Absolutely. And so that's what, you know, instantly my mind clicks there and you pointed towards, no, I had a vision mm -hmm. of why I'm doing this. It wasn't yeah. just, I'm passionate about it. And I think it's really cool to work with animals yeah. and I could be like the next crocodile Dundee. Yeah. It was like, wait, no, my, my country has a need mm -hmm. and I have a vision of, of how that I could contribute to my society. It, like it was, it, that was the driving force. It's actually interesting. You, you, put it that way. I've never thought of it that way, but actually, yeah, I am very vision driven. Yeah. So when I know where I want to get to in the end, yeah. when I, you know, and it's crystallized and it's visualized yeah. and I know what that looks like. Cause then you know what you're I'm, fighting for. I'm exactly. I'm not going to get like, I'll tell you, you, you get disappointed, you get upset and you get challenged and you get nervous. And I've been at exams, I had an epiphany somewhere in the later part of the five years to mm -hmm. finish my DVM where um, the anxiety is just like turned up to, you know, yeah. a thousand. And well, when you do exams there, they're not written. You actually do what are called vivas or, or, you know, oral exams. So you have to get in a suit. You have to be presentable, professional. You turn up to the exam. The syllabus is like some 530 questions for surgery, some thousand for internal medicine and what have you. And they'll pick four random questions and ask you to present those questions. And so you sit down, you start scribbling on a piece of paper, all the notes that you need to think, all the points you need to hit and everything. And by the way, this is like five years of exams are like this. So when you're getting to the last couple of years of exams, and it's, in fact, it starts with the four Ps, which are physiology, pathology, um, pharmacology, and pathophysiology, oh, and parasitology. Those are the, the big heavyweights. And if you don't cross those, you've got no chance getting past your finals. Um, and I remember thinking like you're, you're, you're studying for weeks on end, you've prepared and picked a day where you're going to sit this exam in front of the head of the, the, the faculty and you get up at four in the morning, the day of, and you're still ironing your shirt and you're still trying to like get some breakfast down <laughs> without it coming back up. And, and then you go and- So nerve wracking. Exactly. And I realized the problem was it was like make or break. I'd failed enough times, but you're mm -hmm. like, I can't 
let this keep happening and now I've given everything and I don't want to. And then I just realized like, you know what the problem is? Like I'm having a flight or fight response. I'm having like a physiological response that is saying you're going to die. Yeah. And you know what the funny thing is? You're not. Yeah. You walk out of that exam having failed and there is not a guy with a gun held to your head going, did it work? No. Pow. No, that doesn't happen. And that reframed everything really? for me. And just the way I approach things is like, I've got a plan. The best I can give is mm. the best I will give. And if something doesn't work, you can fix it. Yeah. And there's, and I'll tell you, the way the system is set up there is you get four attempts at every exam. And if you don't pass it in the, in the, in the examination period that you have, you can resit it in another examination period when you coordinate it with a professor. And there were professors that failed you on the first go just because. Just because it's your first go. Just because. Just like, yeah, I need to break you a little, need to you to understand that it's not like cruising through life. And it's it's quite a good practice, I think. I mean, yeah, it's a fail everybody wants. No, the idea is you you have to understand as a veterinarian yeah. that you're not going to save every animal. Yeah. Like the numbers just won't add up. You'd you be pretty damn good mm -hmm. if you could do all that. But if you get like broken, and I've seen veterinarians that are, were like at least five years my senior, 10 years my senior that were surgeons hmm. that lost a horse because it didn't recover well after a surgery or whatever, and they had to put them down. And like the guy broke into tears. I was just like, whoa. But that's, yeah. that's what's on there for veterinarians. And if you can't handle failure and learn, I mean, for me, failure is, is people will describe everything as a failure. I have a, I have a totally different scale for failure. failure. What's your scale for failure? When I'm in the ground. Unpack like, that a little bit more. So let's, let's, let's say there's something in front of me. If I've attempted, if I've tried mm. and it didn't work out, there's a learning experience there. Yeah. There's no failure. Yeah. You fail if you don't learn from it. Yes. That's the real failure. Yes. To just keep doing this thing and not understanding that you need to a change it up or mm. learn from what's didn't work. That's the real failure. The failure to learn. Gotcha. So um and there there's part of me that's very practical and comfortable with the idea of if it all goes to mm. zero. Yeah. That only means get up the next morning and start at and one. try again. Try again. Yeah. You, there's two things that I feel are, go hand in hand. You, um, when we're talking about you being a, a visionary and you have a, a crystallized plan for your life, you know, even yeah. your career, you said like, yeah. it's been planned out, you know where you're going, you yeah. know why and you're I've going there. I've had to there. adjust it. Like yeah. it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't set in stone and it's pivoted right. enough times. It changes and pivots, yeah. but at every step along the way, you're like, this is where I'm going. Yep. You hit a roadblock. You're like, yeah. mm, maybe it's not quite there, but it's a degree this yeah. way. And then you keep, you always have a Absolutely. vision in front of you. Absolutely. You're always thinking, uh, You're from what I've kind of consumed mm -hmm. of you as an individual, you're always thinking of what am I doing today that is going to shape my tomorrow and thereby Absolutely. my 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 300 years from now, yep. how is my life having an impact larger than I? And that, so there's that forward looking thing, but then there was, there's something else that, uh, you've mentioned and I've heard you talk about it previously, but it's kind of come up that I wanted to hit on was education mm -hmm. and family. Yeah. And, uh, listening to your origin story, I, I kept hearing 
you know, your mom's impact on you, mm-hmm. your dad, you were with him mm-hmm. in the garden, seeing, yeah. seeing him like, let's plant here, let's yeah. do this. He had a water pail with yeah. him or a, a yeah, old just, tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then even your grandfather and how it was so many of those, those memories of chopping, you know, mm-hmm. you're chopping wood, yeah, yeah. you know, hacking away at bark yeah. as he's working yeah. that instilled, um, not only work ethic, but passion and vision yeah. and this understanding that you're an ambassador for your family's name. Yeah. And we don't, you know, we don't give up. We keep on chopping wood mm-hmm. until we're done chopping wood. And, yeah. um, I just wonder if you could unpack some of those, those thoughts on family and education, because there was also the education system, which yeah. was you encountered in the third grade yeah. biology teacher who she was passionate about guppies and mm-hmm. tadpoles. Yeah. And just, yeah, I just wonder what are your thoughts on education and the thought on the family role in children education? So I'm, I am passionate about education in that we all have. So one thing about being a veterinarian that I love is that you're a student for the rest of your life. Mm. Always be learning. Yeah. Okay. Always. If you think you don't need to learn again. You've lost it. Yeah. The moment that you failure. think you've, yeah, <laughs> the moment failure. you're like, I've got this. It's like no. done. At 70, I really hope to learn about yeah. something new. Absolutely. And the world, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, the natural world alone, never mind everything we create yeah. from music, art, culture. Yeah. The natural world alone to this day still isn't understood by everybody to every degree. Oh, I mean, probably we've scratched like a tenth. Oh, yeah. We like to believe we're above it all. We like but to believe really. we're sort of superior to nature, but I'm like, hey, guys. <laughs> was it was it Einstein or uh, maybe the president, but it's like the there's what you know that you know. Yeah. That well, you I, know that you don't know. know what you don't, don't know, know that you, you know, don't know. And you yeah, don't know that, that you, you don't, don't know. know. Exactly. Yeah. That's a really good <laughs> way to look at it. <laughs> But um, so there's, there's, there's the learning, always be learning. And I realize the education system anywhere mm. is only a helping hand. Yeah. You could be completely removed from an education system and learn. Yeah. And then you could be in, in, in an education system and not benefit. Mm. And when you're going back to these family members that you're talking about, and for me, the way my family has sort of helped my brothers and I flourish as, you know, professionals with our understanding of the world is that we had, I don't want to call it mentorship, but we had advocates, Mm. people who were there to share and to carry out with, or or take us on experiences and those experiences. So, so where you're, where I'm, I'm with my grandfather, one, Mm. there was nobody with us. It was my grandfather. Yeah. And we went out to the woods and I saw him when we drove the tractor there and he said hello to people he knew. He met the forester and the forester said, yeah, you could take these trees. And then he did the work. And the, and I think one needs to really respect that at that age, if I don't remember everything, I am sponging it up yeah. all into my subconscious. Everything's impacting wow. me at all times. Think about when your children walk. I mean, my kids are four, three and a year. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And when I watch them just pick things up, and I don't mean with their hands, I, I see mm. my my eldest use a turn of phrase. I see my second yeah. sprint, yeah. sprint better than his older brother. And I realize, oh, he's more, you know, hand-eye coordinated than, than the elder. Yeah. 
and my youngest trying to chase her brothers and like make eye contact and she can't talk, but she's using mannerisms and, and sort of turning her face as if to say, Hey, look, I can do it too. And, and just watching my children, I realized, wow, we've, we totally don't respect that children are, mm. even when we don't see them looking at us, they are sponging up they're everything They're watching always, they're listening just, always. Even, with, even with, with their eyes closed, they're learning yeah. about their surroundings. And that kind of impact is critical, which is why being there for my kids at this age is really important because I know the kind of experiences I've had from that young age, yeah. identifying how I would be. Yeah. Um, do you think your grandfather, when he was taking you out, do you think he knew what he was doing? Do you think it was some intentional, like, I'm going to take him out to the woods? Or was it like, I'm just going to take them along with my life and it just so happened that it was impactful? No, I, he, my grandfather's been one of my teachers throughout his life uh, and throughout mine. That he's So I remember a couple things. One, when we went out to the woods it wasn't so much that he was giving us a formal lesson, yeah. but this was part of how one lived. One mm. went and got your firewood. Mm. I mean, he wasn't chopping trees down for fun. This was the firewood right. for the heating in the in the house. And in fact, the house then became a motel. He built, uh, it was a bed and breakfast really? of like, how many so rooms? Cool. Like 30 rooms. But it, you know, it started out, my grandfather was a serial entrepreneur. And he'd been everything from working, uh, he worked at a Horrocks motorcycle factory when he was younger, but he apprenticed as a cobbler. Wow. He worked and sold wholesale, um, you know, so sweets. Cool. And he owned a grocery and a discotheque and uh, that's what they called it at the time. And um, he also started a bed and breakfast with his wife. Mm. And my mom and my aunts and uncle all had to do the laundry and had to redo the yeah. beds. And so there's always this- The family business. This hustle. Yeah. You know, this this just natural hustle. So it's, it sounds like, it, you know, as you're sharing all this, what mm -hmm. I hear that it wasn't like your grandfather was like, I'm going to take him out and this is going to be a good learning lesson. Yeah, no, it wasn't like that. But it was more like, I'm going to involve my children and my grandchildren mm -hmm. in my everyday life because yeah. I realized that education and learning happens as we engage in life together. Yeah. It's not just in a schoolroom. Yeah. But it's engaging so as a family. To to take the sponge idea one step further, it's immersion. A hundred percent. Dunk it in and sponge yeah. it up. And what you say about that family as sort of like being together. Um, one thing that I've always realized is when we're around the dinner table, and it's something I've established with my family, is my mom had a very strict no mobile policy mm. when those things came around. Yep. It was like, get that out of here. And when the telephone rang, the one that was still hooked up to well, the back wall. Back in those days, there was, in those it days. Wasn't a, there was yeah. a no mobile policy because yeah, yeah. there was no, no mobile. mobiles. Exactly. But when the phone rang on yeah, the wall, is don't pick it up. Do not pick it up. We are having dinner. Um, yep. Because at that table, we were conversing. We were exchanging. We were talking. And there's something that somebody pointed out in my family, in Germany at least, is if we were all at the lunch table at my grandmother's and the youngest person at the table had something to share with the table, everybody listened. Yeah. Everybody, and this was my youngest cousin uh, at the time, she was like three, but she wanted to tell something to, uh, to, to the table. Everybody shut up and had to listen. Yeah. 
And that taught you to respect uh, people's voice and mm. understand that in you know com communication you have to give and take. Yeah. And at the same time, also that people have experiences to share. So I learned about what my mom does at work, what my dad does at work, um, what my grandparents were mm. doing and how my grandfather, my grandfather was also a butcher. And so while my mom, my grandmother was running the, um, the bed and breakfast, he'd get up at five, have breakfast and get in his truck and sell his wares at a market. And we joined him sometimes and we were in charge. So cool. So you know, somebody wants a sausage, you got to cut how much they want. You got to weigh it. You got to make sure they're happy. Here's the change. You, you see the driving involved. It's not all about like, yeah, yeah. just turn up you to the office. The commute was from here to there at five in the morning mm -hmm. after breakfast. Mm -hmm. And so when he was home- so you for saw the, the work. Yeah, I saw the work and I was immersed in it. I yeah. was sponging it up. It's like, it goes back to something you said earlier. You're, you- live your life knowing that you are ambassador of your mm -hmm. family's name. Yeah. And it's like, how can you carry your family's name if you haven't seen and lived with your father and your mother, mm -hmm. right? How can you, um, it's like, if you've seen your parents, if mm -hmm. you live life with your parents, if you, as your, as a father, include your children in your life, they see you and they soak up, this is who my father is. Mm -hmm. This is who my family name is. This is how we behave. This yep. is the culture of our home. Absolutely. The culture of how we interact with people at the dinner table, what mm -hmm. we do, do and don't do. This is how we listen to the, the younger people around yep. us or the, the lesser privileged people mm -hmm. around us. Yep. And it's, it's almost going back to this, I think, much higher level of education, yep. if you will, which is you have to be around your family. And as parents, we have to interact and bring our children yeah. into our lives, mm -hmm. which is, I know for, I have, I have three kids as well. They're, okay. they're all boys oh, my who Lord. are uh, uh, five, three and nine months. Awesome. So oh, wow. Similar Congrats. age. Yeah. So at times, you know, it can, it's an inconvenience, right? Interesting you, you, you have to sacrifice, yeah. yeah. there's sacrifice that, no. that takes, like we, every Friday we, um, we make pizza together. It's nice. a tradition awesome. that my mom, she grew up, we'd all make pizza Amazing. every Friday night together and have a movie. That beautiful. was like our family night. And so we've carried that tradition That's on. Beautiful. I have found that <laughs> I am not as, um, maybe generous and kind as I like to think I am as we're making pizza together as a family and I'm getting anxious that flour is like getting places and I'm like, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Just, start, just let me do it by myself. And then well, this is past couple, uh, this last week, I just had to stop myself and be like, okay, this is a moment where they get to interact and learn yeah. and let's turn this. And yeah, I, I catch myself doing the same thing by the way. So um, I do some gardening and the kids are getting involved and I want them involved with all the things that I do uh, so that they can experience different things. Yeah. And then you have to understand that, cool, you want to make a really good pizza for everybody to enjoy. Yeah. But it's also their turn to get dirty, yeah. to get flour everywhere yeah. and the cleanup. And that's part of the experience is about learning. And rather than getting frustrated, yeah, you got to make mistakes. Yeah, and I, 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 I also have to say that in terms of compromise of your schedule or your time, it's this quality versus quantity. Mm. Like I, it, if I'm honest, it's not like 
you know, I was 24 seven just lurking around my, you know, parent. My, yeah. my, my dad used to say this, <laughs> my dad's walking around and I'd just be traipsing around behind him and he goes, could you stop hoovering behind me? <laughs> like, you know, I was like I'm, as if to say like, I'm hoovering his every yeah, step. Yeah. Um, but the, um, sorry, but the, uh, the, the two or three experiences that I have, they were fully and wholly committed to yeah. me. So both my wife and I were having this conversation actually in the last week is how do we up the quality, mm. you know, because quantity, you know, becomes harder to do yeah. as you're trying to earn a living, trying to provide, and trying to make sure kids. you're building in, having more kids. Exactly. So that whole schedule and this time efficiency mm. stuff, it really comes down to making sure you've got quality mm. time. And so when you are making pizza with them, you're not checking, yeah. you know, on your emails yeah. and you're not taking a phone call yeah. and you're like, Hey, listen, okay, we can do this for like 20 minutes and then I got to go, you know, dedicate intentional time. in that time. Exactly. Int I like intentionality. that intentionality. Yeah. Cause I can, you know, I can, you know, as I'm making pizza, I can't even be on my phone cause my hands yeah. are covered in dough, <laughs> Exactly. but I can be not intentional and I can just be like, okay, yeah, you know, just don't, uh, let that da let mm -hmm. daddy do it yeah. by himself because yeah. it will be faster. Yeah. But it's see, like, you're already in the, in the work mode. I'm in the work You've mode. You've got all night with them yeah. Friday night and but, you're like, we could do this faster. <laughs> but realizing <laughs> it's not about being like, this exactly. isn't about being faster. It's not yeah. about production. It's about a time and a space where I can connect on a, on a different level, I connect a lot mm -hmm. with my children, but a different level with my children. And yet I find it often every week I have to like catch myself because I yeah. want to rush through it. Mm -hmm. um, I think it comes down to just your, with work and with deadlines and, and these things, mm -hmm. time and the need to do things effectively and efficiently and on time and fast and all that. Yeah, you just, it influences. You're doing that five days a week, if not six or seven. And so the one time where you're supposed to switch that off, and I have to say it's it's always easier on on holiday because you're intentionally yeah. going on holiday. Um, and so the idea is, I mean, we're here trying to like work our program for a weekend. Mm. And it's like, okay, how much time do I do this? And how much time do I do that? And how much time? And you're trying to cram things. And yeah. I've been guilty of that a lot to try and cram as many things into the weekend because I was like, I want to make it the best weekend. Well, actually the best weekend is when you do a little, but you do it well. Well, and that's that's a that's a that story of life. Like the idea is, if you can figure out how you can do the things you love, whether it's any day of the week mm. or with your children, but do it intentionally and do it with quality, rather than try to cram a hundred things into a Friday. Okay, yeah. we're gonna do this, and then we're gonna go to that. So pulling yourself away from got to do this as quickly as possible. Yeah, I, I'm I'm living it at the moment. Yeah, it's hard. Mm, it is. Parenting is oh, a challenge. Parenting is day by day. There ain't no perfect parents and you cannot expect to know it all. Yeah. There's still no one manual for parenting. <laughs> since since we're on the topic of, you know, parenting and education and um and again, it, going back to earlier my uh, noting how a lot of it was your parents were building in a vision for the future and, and being intentional with you mm -hmm. and how you stewarded the family name into the future. Um, what sort of ad advice or thoughts or how can as parents, right? Probably a lot of listeners there, they have young children. I know a lot of guys here in the Gulf, they, 
they're starting to have children and they're like, yeah, we don't have a lot of community around that. How do we raise our kids? Um, what advice do you have or what thoughts or questions do you maybe even ask yourself to say, how am I raising my kids so that they're aware of the future that they're heading for? I don't know if that's even a coherent question, but it's kind of just ballpark. What comes to your mind? If it's about getting our kids ready for the future, the one thing, at least from my own experiences that I hope to give our children is experiences. Mm. You got to let them try. Mm. And I'm very conscious now as well of, of um, you got you to gotta know when to let go. Mm. Right. And then being sensitive to, so for instance, when our two eldest, the boys started walking, there was this like, put styrofoam on anything, you know, <laughs> like get every corner you can see inside. And like, you know, the way you were picking your, your, um, your furniture, it's like, no, no, no this is going to kill them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and there's this yeah. overly fear, fear of, of, of your children getting hurt. And then my mom always says, she's like, uh, you know, they're not made of sugar. Mm. They're not going to dissolve in water. Like you got to let them try. You got to let them learn. And so now when any of the kids sort of bump their head, I don't do that <gasps> reaction, right? <laughs> there's, there's, okay, let me, let me take a look. Yeah. There's no blood and you feel, you know, you look fine. You're walking all right. There's no reason to go to the hospital. Now, you know, you bump your head when you get up under the table because you're too big. Yeah. And, and I've, I've seen my, I've seen my kids get up with blood and, uh -huh. the, and inside of me, it's like, oh my God. <laughs> and then at the same time, it's like calm, collected, check. Where's the blood coming from? Yeah. Okay. It's actually from a lip. It yep. doesn't need stitches. Yeah. We're okay. Yeah. When in doubt, go to the doctor. Absolutely. But don't have a freak out because you're actually teaching them that every little bump is a freak out moment. It's almost like teaching them that any little failure is the end of the world. There you go. And it causes fear. So then yes. fear is connected fear is to taught. failure. Fear is taught. Yeah. And there are only two things that we're naturally afraid of. And I can't remember what they are. Now. Heights. <laughs> yeah. Heights is one. And I think it's, it's not even, is it water or is it spiders? <laughs> it might be snakes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're all going to look this up. Okay. Go and look it up. Um, but that's it. Everything else, everything it's else is learned. taught, is learned. Exactly. So, so with that in mind, I'm trying to pull away all the cushions from my kids. Mm. So it's tough. Believe me, you gotta, you gotta get a lot tougher with yourself first so that you can give your kids this up. So when we're in, when we're in the garden and I'm playing football with my eldest and kicking it around and he falls over. All I say is, get up. Yeah. I'm not like, oh, you okay? <laughs> and like coddle him and like, like give him this whole like, oh my God, the world's ending. It's like, okay, you fell down. Now get up. Yeah. And it's, it's, it it's, seems like so yeah. callous and tough. But what I'm trying to teach him is if you can get up now, you can keep getting up. And right. That's, that's how you right. tackle life. Right. It's like the... Um, you know, the typical millennial, you know, what everyone says about millennials, which I think, I think probably most of it is untrue. I'm sure yeah, some I, of it is true, but the, I think part of it was, um, 
a generation before raised us, or at least raised some, some people were raised, not a, a full blown yeah. generalization, yeah. but in sheltering and coddling. Yeah. And instead of teaching losing and teaching failure, mm-hmm. it's, oh, you, you don't like that? Well, then quit. Yeah. Oh, that's, you're struggling with that? Well, then just give up. Like, you know, don't, mm-hmm. don't try too hard. Just, yeah. you know. No, and everybody gets a medal. Everyone gets a, yeah, eighth yeah. place participation yeah. ribbon yeah, yeah. and medal. And uh, when I was horse riding, I got one of those. I felt like, I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah, I don't need to do this horse riding thing. And I stopped. I was yeah. like, I don't need participation medals. <laughs> but there's something within parenting, which is actually pushing our kids to, to fail, to yeah. lose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that we can still love them and affirm mm-hmm. them, yeah. but still saying like, this is going to happen your entire life. There'll always be someone that's better than you that beats you, there's always going to be failures in day in, day out. Mm-hmm. How are you going to mentally process that? How are you going yep. to have a grit mm-hmm. to withstand with and endure and adapt yep. to the future that comes? Not only that, it's perspective. It's to understand, like one of my favorite things like I've heard recently, and everybody's going to either roll their eyes or go, oh yeah, me too, is um, Gary Vee. Yeah. And um, it was just somebody was sort of asking you a question and he goes like, here's the one thing we can all be sure of. You're going to die. Yep. It's true. You're going to die. All of our days are numbered. We will die. And with that, and that's what I, I mean, that's how I did my exams in the end was I realized like, nobody's going to shoot me here. So stop. And like, you know, everybody is, is got this like micro focus on mm. the moment and it's live or die. But actually, no, it's, it's just try and try again and try again. It's not live or die. Yeah. I mean, and if there is a real sort of live or die moment, then you'll see these people sort of like unpack or sort of like take this whole weight off their shoulders. Mm. And then they're the ones who are really dealing with it. And everybody else is, you know, where they are like, oh my God, I can't this and I can't that. Well, those, I think when you're, when you're living in that microcosm, yeah. it's because you don't have vision. Perspective. Yeah. Or perspective yeah. for 80 years from now. Bingo. That's exactly I mean, what I'm talking you about. You and I were in our thirties. Yeah. Right. We probably have 50 to 70 years. Absolutely. Of life, especially yeah. with medicine and everything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, longevity is just stretching it. And so it's, you know, I live my life thinking, what am I building that will impact and last 300 years from now? Yeah. You know, three generations from Absolutely. now, what am I leaving behind and how am I living my life? So there's that legacy mm-hmm. that we have to think of and live, yeah. live, not live for, but live for that, or that points our direction, that yeah, compass, that if compass, you will. Yeah, yeah. But then, so you have your compass pointing at, this is the legacy I yeah. want to leave. But then there's still the urgency of the hour. They're still realizing that every day we have to wake up and apply ourselves. Yeah. And if there's a headwind, we have to tack. Yeah. Right. Like absolutely. a ship. So yeah. it's like, there's the urgency of the hour of, applying ourselves every day to our fullest mm-hmm. while knowing we're 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 running a marathon that's yeah. that goes far beyond our life that goes into our children and our children's children yeah uh, the 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 whole idea about getting that compass fo- you know you know your direction mm. or where you want to get to or what you want to leave as a legacy some people don't have it figured out what do you want to leave as a legacy it's clear to me that something that's very valuable um, as an experience for me is when I can um, help somebody understand something. Mm. I have a, an aptitude to teaching. Mm. Uh, I enjoy sharing what I know. 
it was part of what I decided to do at vet school. So I went in going, I'm going to be an equine surgeon. You know, there's good money in it, prestige. You're working with, you know, some of the largest budgets for these racehorses. And about halfway in, I realized that that wasn't going to reward me. I was just thinking of doing surgery with my hands. So this, like, this was like a profession where I could do this thing with my hands that I enjoy. What really was rewarding is when I started studying with people and I was teaching them. And whenever I figured out a subject I did anatomy fairly well, mm. was I enjoyed the teaching. And even to this day, and when I left, sorry, when I left university, I realized I'm going to take what I know about the natural world and share mm. it with my people. That was the real thing that I came back with, which was like, oh. So I realized, okay, well, maybe you may not stay in clinical practice for long, but I went to clinical practice because yeah. I believe in learning your way up, you know, experiencing that. But every step of the way, so that's why I started in LA and Zoo where a million visitors a year and the opportunity to engage and do public speaking and share what mm. I know so that people know more. And my legacy that I want to leave is really to bring, this is the big one, is to bring people back into a more close relationship with the earth, with, yeah. with nature, whether it's in the food they eat, whether it's in science and biology, whether it's just understanding. I mean, we're, we're building a concrete jungle around ourselves, mm. around the globe. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a yeah. lot of stuff that's getting in between us and nature. And I'm not talking about getting out to doing nature walks and just going, you know, you know, on a digital holiday and 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 right. deconnect, you know, disconnecting. I'm talking about like, do you know what plants are outside your door? Do you take a good look at any of the insects that are walking around? The natural world is still here. And if we were to go tomorrow, it would do just fine. Yeah. It is, it is the absolute. And to understand that, to understand that we're a part of it, mm. that's really the important thing that for me, I'd like people to, to check, to understand. And if it's one person at a time, or if it's on my social media, mm. or if it's um, when I engage with students, whether it's my work at the government, working on policy for the country, at all steps of the way, that is the undercurrent, that is the the common, common thread. How to reconnect people with nature, not in... Uh a uh, kind of PR sort of <laughs> yeah, way, right? Yeah, Everyone no, posts, no, I'm taking no. the next 24 hours off of yeah, social no, no, media, no, whatever. No, none of that. But it's, it's in about, a real yeah, kind of back to that symbiotic yeah, way of that realizing you're that you're part of the greater organism that ecosystem. is Earth. Exactly, yes, exactly. That's that's the big one. You talk about, I've heard you speak about, um, and I think it's a, a large theme of uh, this podcast and this region, which, and it's come up um, in this conversation already, but holding on to heritage, holding mm -hmm. on to, like you said, going back to our roots of nature. I mean, I was just out at a, a Bedu farm in yeah. line and yeah. talking to, this probably, he's probably in his young, fit, early 50s, but talking about what the world was like. Um, 50 years ago yeah. with Sheikh Zayed and, yeah. and just these mind-blowing stories. I was so mad that I didn't have a microphone. But, um, you know, talking about that that heritage yeah. that this this people's come from, this land comes from, and really all of us come from. Yes, exactly. At there some point along the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like my this mom, is... she went to horticulture school. So yeah, she, okay, cool. She's a gardener. I grew up gardening. And um, 
so this that handshake with nature and I know yes. it's kind of a hot topic right now but it you're not talking about it in the let's reduce our carbon footprint maybe in some ways it, uh, you know what it is but it's I, a higher level than just yeah it is because you know what it's not just because of today yeah it's because of always yes yeah there's i i mean i really believe we have a lot to do as a species on this planet mm-hmm. to readjust our relationship yeah um Agreed. what that looks like through technology without technology Heritage has a big part to play because if you look back, there was a time where we hadn't created these fancy tools, these i, uh, you know, yeah. iPhones and these mobile phones. And it's been only ten years yeah, for an right? iPhone. Yeah, oh yeah, that's always Not, crazy. Like, like maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe it was a bit more. But no, actually, you know what? You're it's right. Ten years. Uh, yeah, because I remember getting mine. Uh, it's in, a ten year uh, anniversary. Holy smokes! So the, the 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 fact is, there are so many people that have. And I tell you, it's described um, in the in the food industry as the valley, mm. the valley between food production and the consumer. Yeah, it's huge. There used to be a time where we hunt for our food. Yeah. Then we went to a butcher mm. and then, sorry, a farmer. Then we went to a butcher. Now we go to the supermarket and now you can order it online. Like we are getting further and further away from where the food starts. What and are the impacts? Next, very of that clearly large valley is 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 there are good examples that people have always like brought up like you know when when you ask kids what what's the color of milk and they go yeah you know, either pink or you know brown because they strawberry milk or chocolate milk that was something I heard in the U.S. and when somebody goes where does chicken come from they go the supermarket wow. I've I tell you what the one I, a very sobering a very sobering experience and I think something that people might need and it's not that I'm pushing for you know, not keeping of animals, um, but the animal welfare, you know, how we keep our animals and how we then consume mm. the things from those animals. Some, it was a reason I didn't get into too much agricultural um, veterinary medicine is because the economy was pressuring the animals to produce more. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of work on getting high productivity, et cetera, yep. et cetera. But then- Because the margins are going down. Bingo. And you need to figure out how to survive in the market. Everybody wants cheap meat, cheap milk, cheap eggs. And where who do you think is holding that cost at the moment? Well, it goes all the way back to the farmers and then to the animals. Yeah. And we're breeding, you know, through genetics, we're, we're finding- GMO, et cetera, well, et cetera. GM, Monsanto, et cetera. There, the, there's a whole world out there that people don't know about because their heads are in their phones. They're doing their jobs. I'm not saying everybody has to get into agriculture or understand, but just be aware because I believe one could, again, what percentage of your monthly budget is spent on food? A lot. Is it a lot? Do you, do you know? There's a rent. There's food. Okay, with kids, it's pretty high. But like <laughs> a lot of people are talking about like, oh my God, my Netflix and I need right. to get a new phone. And technology is sort of taking up a lot of that space. We know all the specs of the phones. And I have to give it like the the, the foodie movement and this whole new culture mm-hmm. of of you know, understanding craft foods and understanding where they are coming from and third generation coffee and all that, that is bringing a sort of renaissance maybe mm-hmm. of understanding food. But it's not bringing us closer to Exactly. Nature. Well, it's go back to where food comes from and then understand how we have a relationship with right. the it's other not, animals. It, it's like 
making that valley smaller. Yeah, smaller. For for me, is at least it's brought the subject back into the forefront, which gives me more access to people. Mm. So for me, when it comes, you know, nature is, okay, you want to have a farm. You know, are you using pesticides? Mm-hmm. Do you understand that the bee... So like I have friends who, people who are in the food business and they message me and they are super excited. They're like, Maja, check it out. I've got a huge hive here in my garden. Other people will ask for the hive to be removed. Now, if it's a danger to your kids, sure. Mm. But if no, none of the kids have, yeah, you, you have know, a huge allergy, hive in your garden. Yeah, which is it's not awesome. huge. It's good. And I'm very glad that they're there and hopefully it grows. But just being respectful and mm. understanding that it has a place and giving it more space in a city, mm. I think would be really cool. So, um, you know, to wrap up, we're, we're out of time. Oh, like that. Just like that. <laughs> like I that. told you it would go so fast. It goes so fast. <laughs> um, couple thoughts. I, I know you have gotten rid of your television. Yeah, we have since Ramadan. So this is on the production. This is about two months now and maybe more. Can I have a, I have a, a series of questions, but cool, so sure. I'm, I'm going to, why did you do that? And what impact has it made so far in your family? So one thing I know about myself, which I see in, in my kids is just this like moth to a flame to mm. a screen. Um, and I believe in removing the TV, we've connected more with our kids. Yeah. Um, it was part and parcel of not using it as a crutch Mm. and also as a babysitter. Yeah. As a babysitter. And also my kids love books Yeah, and they could just as well look at, I mean, here I've watched plenty of TV in my lifetime. And the idea here is not for them to never look at a screen. Mm-hmm. You know, we give them a controlled hour. Yep. But the TV has been a sort of uh, a reminder or a trigger for either the kids or us to go, hey, what do you want to do? Oh, let's just chill. Yeah. Well, even the way most living rooms are set up, yes. it's set up around the television. Yeah, so our TV was upstairs in the small sitting area privately. We don't have one in the living room. And I've been very... Hind and I, we've had a lot of laughs about this because yeah. you'll find families that are like, oh, let's go and hang out together. And they switch on the TV. Yeah. And they're only commenting about what's on TV. And they're not talking about each other. So distracting for me. I can't. Yeah, exactly. Like I can if be you look public. in our house, there's yeah, no I love TV. It, by the way, it's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. My wife, um, not me. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. Respect. <laughs> My house too, by the way. <laughs> so the idea is for me, I know for myself as well, it's a bit of a trigger. Yeah. It's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, Absolutely. I'm exhausted. You know what? Let's just throw the TV on or, oh, let's watch Netflix. Oh, let me play PlayStation. Absolutely. Uh, you know? And as soon as the TV was gone, it doesn't come up anymore. It's yeah. like not even enough. Like there's nothing going like, hey, yeah. play the PlayStation. <laughs> yep. So now what happens? I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I've got all these books in the library I still want to read. Like yeah. I pick up another book or, hey, there are the kids. Let's sit down with the kids. Mm. Or if the kids are playing, we talk about our day. And suddenly I've won so many hours back. Wow. And then I'll only go to the TV when I want, and not to the TV, it'll be the laptop yep. or iPad if I want to watch something on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I love going to the cinema. And the cinema has got that like sort of like romance of going, yeah. getting the popcorn and everything. Yeah. That's not what you do when you're smashing out like binge watching series totally. one after the other. Totally. It's sort of like lost its... You know, it's not, I don't want to say it's not special because, you know, there are some shows that were really cool, but yeah. I just feel like I've won back a lot of time to do stuff that are perhaps more productive. That's what I'm trying to say. That's amazing. And I also know that you just even as a vet, as a lover of nature, you're, you're composting, you're gardening. Yes. 
is that in a way to bring you just closer to that, Absolutely. that life cycle? I think, I think when I was watching TV, so I tell you what, what happened with the TV, which applies to the composting. I think I talked about like gardening and composting for the longest time. But you never did it. At the end of the week, I'd get frustrated and then I'd be like, oh, I didn't even get started. I'm like, okay, next week. But you know what I was doing where I could have been doing that? I was thinking, eh, let's go watch some TV. Yeah. And so as soon as I removed the TV, I'm like, well, I've got all this time now. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> and no, no. And then the next step was just try it. Yeah. I, I didn't have a formula. I didn't have any books. I didn't nothing. I just thought, okay, guys, let's collect what we have in the house. Give that to me. And I see we've got lots of leaves. So I tell the gardener, like, can you just put this on the side? Mm -hmm. And I just chuck it in. And I watched a YouTube video on how to build a simple yep. bin compost composter and and it's working. It's amazing. And it's learning, you know, so it's it's try. It goes yeah. back to that. It's try. Don't talk about it too long. You gotta, you gotta I, when, try. I think when you talk about it, it it fills your stomach with this feeling as if you did it. Yeah, that exactly. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. Talk three hours. Oh about, wow, you're so amazing. Like, <laughs> yeah, wow, exactly. You're, you're, you're awesome. Yeah. yeah, I am. I am. I yeah. am. I am awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then you never do it. Yeah, exactly. So I think that try is important. Yeah. So two two questions to close. One question yeah. for for those of us who maybe you know after listening to this realize, oh yeah. There is a large valley between the food that I consume yeah. and where it comes from. What are maybe one or two simple things that we can do this week to shrink that valley a little bit? So one thing is just look at how much food you're throwing away. When I started the composting thing, I started realizing you can measure how much you're wasting mm. or you're throwing away. That should tell you how much you're spending mm. and not consuming. And that's a big, big equation there. It's a simple equation, but it's yeah. a big sort of indication of, okay, you're, you're buying all this stuff. Are Which you, makes sense. You, Any business would do that and say, look at this margin, look bingo, at all this waste. Oh, yes. And if for all the business people out there, like, what are you buying to throw away? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, no, it's it's literally it's literally that. Yeah. So good. Anybody in the FMB is like, what are we buying to throw away? And it's this throughput. So yeah. I've been I've been thinking about like family as a unit. You you have to think about you're spending this much money on food, and how much of that is ending in the bin. Mm. And FYI, the bin goes to landfill. It becomes a municipal issue. Mm. If you compost, you don't have to buy fertilizer. Mm -hmm. So the family unit, you close the cycle. That's the sustainability stuff I'm talking it sounds about. Like it all comes back down to family. Yeah. And like I think that's the one unit. thing that, you know, even across news sites in the yep. UAE has been pointing to, we're having, I mean, in America, mm -hmm. in America, we, I, I can't, there's not time to list the issues, <laughs> but it's the breakdown of family unit has caused enormous issues yep. and it across education systems, Absolutely. across uh, just the, the, the penal system, everything, it can be traced back to a breakdown yeah. of family. And even here in the news, you know, we're reading articles that there's a, a beginning of this breakdown of the family unit in some, in some circles, so, in I some think, articles I've read yeah, in the so, news. So I think that comes down to um, what I call maybe the culture crunch. Mm. In two generations, maybe less, we've gone from... I mean, like I will go to my grandmother and yeah. she will tell me about, you know, breakfast, 
used to be a cup of camel milk and some dates. Yeah. And that was then lunch as well. And, and that then was they would 25 get years fish. ago, right? Bingo. That was or less. Or less. Yeah, no, no, no. It was 25 years ago, a bit more. But like that was what... So for instance, go to Sharjah. Okay. Go to the Bank Street. Go to the fort mm-hmm. that is in the Bank Street. My grandmother lived there. My father used to play there. In the and, fort. In the that fort. was their home. They, well, it was part of the, the, the community there, so right? So wild. And now it's there mind are it's like mind 70 story plus towers all around this place. And we're traveling around the world. And like, that's how quickly it's changed. It's unreal. And so what's happening is, uh, you know, we're also this distance. And, mm. and then there's the, the, the zahma, the, the, yeah. the, the traffic. The traffic. And then the, the people. And then there's a hundred things to do. And there's a hundred things that are better than going. You know, Friday is still a family day. It's, mm-hmm. you know, very important. Yes. But what is the family unit? How broad is the unit? And then you go and you hear from that one uncle every year who's like, or every weekend who's like, what are you doing with your life? What, nah, nah, nah. You know, like I know there, there are kids that are probably going like, oh, you know, my family don't understand me. Why? Because they've grown up in this future world. They're consuming everything through their phone. They're exposed now to American pop culture, Japanese pop culture, you know. K-pop. Uh, K-pop. <laughs> Bro, there's, there are so many more influences mm. on people. Back in my grandmother's day, you were lucky if somebody came from another country oh, and yeah. landed in Sharjah Airport. And somebody would say like, oh, I know so-and-so has just arrived. This guy, he's, a, he's doing something big in the desert. They're, they're digging holes. That was about the, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the traders would come in and be like, oh, how's yeah. India? You know, or like, yeah. you know, I'm, that was how the news moved. It was very yeah. slow. And now kids today, and I, I'll be honest, I'm, I don't know how I'll keep up with my kids because if I am dealing with information as fast as it comes today, Twitter, Instagram, you know, and, and all the social media plus plus. And then when you get into your technical subjects, there are a hundred of feeds as well. Yeah. You know, trying to read all the digital papers you can. And then... <laughs> expect your kid to, you know, grow up like a good old Emirati. And no, I mean, I have friends who are at least 10 years my junior that are saying things that, I mean, I feel old. I'm 36 Mm. and I sound like such a dad. Yeah. Like, Hey, that's really great. What's this newfangled (laughs) thing you're doing there? And they're like, man, this is what all the cool kids are doing. I was like, Whoa, I'm not keeping up. I I'm, I'm totally aware of that now. So what I I mean you just painted a picture that I I think to do justice would be another you know four or five hours of conversation as I have so many I think there was a so second many avenues question. that I've, <laughs> I've gone down on on want to go down Good on this but we don't have this. time yeah um and uh, I guess what and you painted this picture that it makes it feel uh, somewhat impossible right in this it's just real. It's like you said, the culture was a culture crunch. Yeah, the culture crunch. So and, there's two generations yeah. where we've gone from, you know, our traditional roots and suddenly there are these kids who are trying to, you know. And you talk a lot about pulling the, that heritage while mm-hmm. looking to the future. Yeah. I guess there are millions, mm-hmm. tens of millions of people across UAE, Saudi, yeah, Oman, the region, yeah. uh, Kuwait, Bahrain, Qatar. What what would you, what, I don't think there's an answer that we can give to them. I think answers are sometimes, you know, you stick it on a post-it mm-hmm. note and it doesn't do you any good. My answer will look like the, but I get what you're saying. But what, 
what question would you pose to them to ask to help like sort sort through this so that they can kind of navigate what would you or or what would you say maybe if it's not a question what advice would you give to them i would give anybody anybody who wants to be able to manage this and it takes some real genuine curiosity yeah and genuine open mindedness yeah to say to their kids or to the cool kids or to this new generation or to something they don't understand is explain it to me. Show me why this is interesting. Mm. Don't come with your judgments. So that's to the older generation. No, that's to anybody. To anyone. To anybody. Oh, that's you and me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see somebody who's like totally into K-pop and be like, so what is, yeah. what, what is K-pop? Did I say K-pop? I said K-pop. Yeah, you did. J-pop. No, what is K- K-pop? Is K-pop. K-pop. Yeah, K-pop as well. Yep. Sorry. Okay, cool. Safe. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's to say, why is this interesting? I'll, I'll leave with this. The one thing I've been fortunate enough growing up is, and this I would advocate any parent, is to make sure that the education of your children is what we like to call balanced mm-hmm. in my family. You have your technical subject, mm-hmm. might be a science, might be, um, you know, some sort of subject matter that you become proficient in mm-hmm. and maybe go and get a degree in. You do a sport mm-hmm. so that you're physically active. You understand that what you can't do with your brain, do with your body and yeah. then the combination of the two. And then pick an art, whether that art form is music or drawing or something. And with those three, you will have access to a number of different experiences. Mm. I used to play basketball for my university. I used to play rugby for the national team here. I used to, and and all of those, and I'm veterinarian, studied veterinary medicine, You're which drummer. is heavy science. I'm a drummer, exactly. I'm in a band and and I've always been in bands. And that access, mm. I meet so many different people. So very quickly, I understand there's stuff that's new to me and to say, okay, how does this work? What is this that's, that's interesting? And when you're open and, and unjudgmental, because as soon as you be like, oh, that's not, and then they're like, oh yeah, you, you don't understand me. And then you put the rift in. No, no, my kids are going to start doing things. And I'm like, I don't get it. Yeah. But if I'm going to be able to like, you got to, mm. they're going to be like, dad, you don't understand. And if I'm not willing to sit down and understand, we're not going to, we're going to lose communication. And, and, vice, communication. and vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. For the kids, their kids. Yeah. They're 23, 25. Yeah. Looking at their grandparents. Yeah. They should, oh my God. And then for the young kid to thank you very much. Young kids, guys. This older generation has years of experiences that you could learn from. Do not assume that they don't know. Some of the best advice I got was from my grandmother here in the UAE. Mm. To this day, she will still drop like gold nuggets. And I was like, what? Like mind blowing. There's nothing on the internet that is as good as Mm. what my grandmother's saying. Yeah. And And it's super simple. And then my grandfather and then my parents, they will always surprise me. Mm. Um. So don't, I mean, it's for, for everybody to communicate, if anything. Mm. Majid, thank you. No, thank you thank so you much. Thank you so much. This was, this was such a cool opportunity. Yeah. I just, the wisdom, everything that you shared, um, really, I'm bummed that we need to end. Yeah. <laughs> I could go another two <laughs> we'll hours do, talking with you. We'll do season two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll do a follow-up episode on this, but thank you so much for your time, for your no, wisdom. Thank you thank for you so much. Uh, your perseverance and your vision that you're personally carrying as an individual, mm-hmm. one for a nation, for your yeah. people, and two for uh, 
for teaching others. I, I, I just, it's, it comes naturally and I, and I enjoy it. So there's, there's, there's positivity for everybody. And one thing I've been trying to do now with my social media is to teach yeah. um, and just to get more awareness out there. Yeah. So you're, Instagram and yeah. everything. How can we find you on Instagram? So on Instagram, I'm Majid AQ. So that's M-A-J-I-D-A-Q. And that will um, be in the show notes. That'll be in the show notes. Cool. And, and I can drop all my other social media yep. stuff so you can pick it up how you want. Perfect. And um, I, I, I think I'm most busy at the moment on Instagram because I'm trying to get more engagement on the little things that I do. Just come and check it out. Yep. Check it out. Thank you guys for listening. Remember, if you can own your story, you can own the future.